Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. This week, I'm thrilled to be joined by a guest who is no stranger to overcoming adversity. Mark is a former professional footballer with a very unique and inspiring story of playing the sport he loved whilst undergoing not just one, but two open heart surgeries. And I have to say at a very young age as well. He's now sharing his story, which is one of dealing with adversity and bouncing back from challenges that life can sometimes throw you. Mark's obviously had his fair share. Mark, it's a pleasure. I, I tell you why it's a pleasure on, on a couple of levels. One, the individual introduced us speaks very highly of you. And the second is, as a bit of a kind of a sporting billy, I always love having these kinds of conversations. And your story is really, truly inspiring because, you know, we've all got a story to tell, I think it would be fair to say, of dealing with a particular challenge in life. Mine's very different to yours. But to go through it twice and pick yourself back up again and and keep going regardless, that that's, you know, truly inspiring. So I want to kind of coax the story out of you, if I can, today. Um, and I have to confess, I'm a little bit jealous because the dulcet tones of an Irishman uh, is something that does prick a little bit of jealousy in me. Because I, if I could have any accent in the world, uh, it, it would be yours. So um, welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast, Mark. Uh, can't wait to hear this particular story and share it with people from all around the world. So um, in saying hello and welcome, let's start right at the beginning. You leave home or possibly before that you start to aspire to play a game that you loved and that you were clearly very talented at. Tell us about this particular journey that led up to the moment that effectively your career hung in the balance. Well, in all fairness, like living in Ireland, um, I played football and I started out from the age of eight, nine years of age. And that was down to obviously my brother being two years older than me. I was just following in everything he'd done in his footsteps. So for me, I always just looked at it and thought, well, do you know what? If he can do it, so can I. So I just played for my local Cherry Orchard team and everything was was brilliant for me. And it was only when I started to turn 11, 12, 13 years of age is when people start showing interest in me. I started getting chosen for like local Dublin teams. I started getting chosen for to go out on trials to certain teams. And when people start showing you that interest and start believing in you, you start thinking to yourself, you know what? Like maybe there's something in this for me. And then you, you start supporting, which my team at home was was Manchester United. You start supporting them and you just see how everything else is going. And it, like you say, it is just one of them things that it just progressively got better and better. And I just loved football. It was like I wanted it to be my life. And I think that's one part that kind of drove me to wanting it for, for a career. And when I was 14, I had a chance of flying over to Derby on trial. I had a couple of other trials, but... Um, they just didn't really fit well with me. Um, I went to Man City, Liverpool, Blackburn, and they were great names to be going over on trial with, but I just never felt comfortable. I felt at home. And then I flew to Derby, and straight away, it felt like a home from home. And from like moving away from Ireland, 
it's like when something feels like a home because you're changing your whole life you're changing the lifestyle you're changing everything that once I felt comfortable that's all that mattered to me I didn't care about the name the stature of the team I just cared about where did I feel most comfortable and Derby was the place for me and I got to fly away when I was 15 which I think my mum looking back probably wouldn't have left like wouldn't have let me leave home at the age of 15 again but she knew it was something that I loved doing so once I flew over to Derby when I was 15 I was lucky that they registered me when I turned that same season I was still only a schoolboy. they registered me um when I was 16 and I went from the under 16s to the youth side under 18s to the reserves and I made my debut by that season so within the space of a year of moving away from Ireland I made my debut for the force team at the end of that season and like I said, if if you could write a story or a book, it's probably the best way it could ever turn out because it's like, oh my God, I've made it. This is unbelievable. This is all I've ever wanted. It was Watford away and there was 22,000 people at it and I'm a 16-year-old getting a chance to play in front of that. And it was, it, was, it was one of those things that I'll never forget. And then I flew home to Ireland, which at the time, you're sky high on confidence. Everything's amazing and the world's at your feet and everybody wants a piece of you, all your family and friends, everyone proud of you. So then I fly back to Derby wanting to hit the ground running. And then it was only at that time they give me the routine medical as they do. And it was at that moment that it kind of shaped everything and molded me to how my career kind of panned out or my whole mindset towards everything. Because when I was 16, they found out that I had a leak in aortic valve. And the leak in aortic valve was something that at the time they didn't really know how it was going to affect me because I was training every day. Um, it was something they said I was lucky that they found because I didn't have a single symptom. I wasn't lightheaded. I didn't feel dizzy. I didn't feel anything. And I was training every single day during pre-season. So the only thing that they were able to kind of put two and two together was my heart rate when I was training and doing pre-season was at 230 plus. And they just thought I might have been working hard, but they weren't to know that I had a leak in aortic valve. So when they put two and two together, I followed up and had more scans. And the doctor told me that I won't need an operation for 40 years, which to me, 40 years time, football's long gone. Everything's done and dusted and I'm totally fine. And then had another follow-up MRI scan and found out that the valve was progressively getting worse. Um, They told me on a scale of one to 10, like one being not so bad and 10 being the worst it could be mine was leaking back into me heart between a seven and an eight and then that's when the physio kind of took a turn to say this is actually serious so then I got referred to a surgeon and I remember there was me my mom my dad and the derby physio um sitting in the doctor's room and we were just literally waiting um we were literally waiting for the surgeon to come in so we walked in and he sat on his desk with a model heart in his hand and as he sat, that, sat down on the desk, he turned around and, and said to me, family, and just said as bluntly as possible, right, Mark, I've looked at your scans. Your heart is three times the size of what it should be. And if you don't have this operation done within the next year, you're going to die. And at that moment, it was like, you didn't feel as though he was speaking to me. It felt like, ah, you can't be, like I made my debut last year. This can't be me. Like You must be getting it mixed up. And I just remember my first question to the doctor was, can I still play football? <laughs> and that's, that's like probably the best thing that probably panned out for me because I was naive at 16. I just wanted to play football. I didn't care. 
or I didn't really understand the magnitude or anything towards what open heart surgery was. I just sat there and asked, can I play football? And his words to me was, um, Mark, probably football isn't going to happen for you. You'd be lucky to play down the park with your friends. So at that moment, I kind of felt everything was coming to an end and I didn't know what I was going to do. So we spoke a bit more to the surgeon and there was two different operations he could have done, which was a metallic valve or a pigskin valve. And he said the pigskin valve was something that would give me a glimmer of hope to playing professionally, if not professionally, down in the park with your friends. It's the only glimmer that it would give me. But he said it would last me a maximum of five years. But in between all that, he said, if I want to get back into professional football, there's no guarantee that it's going to last me no longer than six months. So from a maximum of five years to six months, my whole career could have like is literally on a time scale. So at the time, I just chose and I said straight away, yeah, I want the pigskin valve. And he said, are you sure? And I couldn't have been any more sure. I think my family wanted to sit down and talk to me and I just said it there. And then I was like, no, I want a chance to play football. And I think the only reason why I wanted that chance to play football was because I made me debut the season before. Mm. So making me debut the season before gave me the green light to say, no, this is exactly what I want to do. And I went and had the pigskin valve in the October of 2010. And when I had the pigskin valve um, put in, it took me three months um, to even get back to jogging standard. And then another three months with the, with the physio and, like I said, the Derby staff and everybody were, were amazing to me. Nigel Clough as a manager stood by me through everything. And I think I owe a lot to him or else I probably wouldn't have had a career. And people like him that are in football are far and few between. And um, I ended up getting back onto the fourth team bench and playing by, the end, by that April. So October to April was like getting told I'd never play again. So then April, May time, I was on the bench for the fourth team again end of that season at Cardiff. Or Cardiff at home. So... It was kind of like such a roller coaster at that time, but that's where my whole mindset changed to kind of say, okay, it's not about playing at a force team for Derby. It's not about doing things. It's about, okay, I'm just going to enjoy and play football for as long as I can now. And I'm, the enjoyment of football is, is going to take over. So wherever that may lead me and may take me, my career is going to be what I make of it. And it was something that, as I said, it, it moulded me for like the rest of my career kind of thing. So I was, I was lucky if you want to call it that, that I played football for them to find that. But then also I was lucky because it kind of, I feel, helped me along the way. And for all the Derby fans out there, let, let's not kid ourselves. Derby's a big club, right? I mean, if you go back 30 years, I mean, Derby was, uh, was, was an enormous club. Well, it still is. Brilliantly well supported. And I think, letting you into a little secret, I think I might have been one of those 22,000 people in that crowd when you made your debut because... I've seen tons of football matches, not just Manchester United, because I'm a, an ardent fan, although currently suffering a great deal. Um, but I remember uh, watching you, whether it was that game or another, and remembering, um, oh, this young lad's not half tidy. So going back to, you know, like you said, Mark, when you, you'd, you'd had a taste of what you aspired to be, and that probably helped you to be more resolute in your decision to kind of, do what was necessary to get back on the football pitch. Um, and, and then you get yourself back there. And then, you know, what happened? Because, you know, history kind of repeated itself. So just to kind of finish the story, where did, where did you go next? What, what kind of brought it all to a close? Well, where it all came next was I, I ended up, luckily enough, 
And I see it as, as luckily enough, I had an 11 year career and 11 year professional career for me was something that was never on the cards from at the age of 16. I probably got told I'd never play a year. So I think to get 11 years out, but what people never knew was every single season, I would have to finish my season with a heart scan and that heart scan would, would determine if I was allowed to play the following season. So when everybody just seen me as Mark O'Brien, the footballer, every single year, I never knew which one was going to be me last, which is why I always say, I think it's what made me get the best out of my career because I chose every year like it would be me last. And I gave everything for any short that I played in, whether it was Derby, I went to Motherwell in Scotland, at Luton, I went to Southport in the conference and then Newport County. So wherever I got a chance to wear the short and play football, I gave everything to that club, no matter the stature or no matter the positioning of whatever league they might have been in. I wanted to give my best for that because if that was going to be my last season, well, then I wanted to go out on a bank. If that was going to be my last season, and that's all I kept having in my head. So as much as the pressures of football that was always surrounding football as it does day-to-day playing for points and um, and and so be it that always in the back of my mind was this could be my last year and nobody ever knew that and I think that was something that just gave me that little bit of an edge to drive on and to be that more determined to prove people wrong to prove the doctors wrong that I am going to be okay to prove people that no I want to be treated as a normal player not just someone who's had a heart defect I wanted always that kind of make me family proud make everybody proud and um, it was Later now, two years ago, the forced lockdown. Um, obviously, when we all went into lockdown because of COVID, I found out that we had an off-season little program to do for three, four weeks because we never knew what COVID was at the beginning. Um, so I was keeping fit. I was going out cycling each day. And one of the days I was out cycling, I finished. And as I got back into my apartment, um, I got this really bad thump in my chest, like it took my breath away. So I never, never had it before. I didn't know what it was. And um, I'm sitting on the sofa trying to catch my breath. And I remember I spoke to our club doctor. And when I spoke to him, all I basically said to him was, I was doc, my chest, like, I can't feel like I can't breathe. I said, like, there's something not right. And he was like, look, it could be this, this and this. You had a scan five months ago. Your heart said it was fine. Like, don't panic yourself trying to not worry me. So then I went to bed that night. I laid on my left hand side. And again, I just got another massive thump in my chest. And I thought, that isn't right like something isn't right here and I just knew myself that something was totally different to every other year and I I kept going after the club doctor and again he was another person who was unbelievable for me in this situation that through COVID how hospitals have been he made sure that they got me to the top of the list of getting a in in uh an echo and get me a heart screening so I went in to see um a doctor down in Cardiff and when I went to see the doctor, I had the I had the heart scan and then he pulled me into the office. And I remember I was sitting there and just something in the back of my mind had me saying, I hope he doesn't find anything, but I hope he does to explain what's going on here because I was like really scared. And he sat down and said, Mark, I'm I'm sorry to say, but your valve is leaking quite badly again. And there and then I just went into like head to toe. I just I can remember I was sitting in the hospital in the in the doctor chair and I just started shaking and I just burst into tears because I knew right football's finished and that is the only thing that went through my head and the doctor was like Mark I'm sorry to say but it is leaking quite badly and you're going to have to get this checked really quickly and 
I didn't really have too much time to try and think about things. And he was like, right. He said, there's procedures that will allow you to continue playing football. And I was like, no, doc. I said, you don't understand. I said, I'm finished. Because I always swore to myself at 16 that when I go through it once to play football and the next was going to be for life, there was never going to be an in-between if I'm going to carry on, carry on, carry on and see where it takes me. It was always going to be one shot at football and then the rest of it was life. And I knew that that was the decision I made. And whether that was happened when I was 20 years of age or 16 or 17, I was lucky enough it happened at 27. And I sat there and I just burst into tears. I went home and my mum flew over to me again, burst into tears. Like I just, I just lost all control. Like it was the first time that I let any sort of adversity grab a hold of me because I felt as though it was, everything was getting taken away from me. Like life wasn't normal with COVID. I needed open heart surgery again, which I didn't want to deal with. And also I had to deal with knowing I was retiring. And it really, really affected me so, so bad. And I always look at it now, looking back over the last two years, it's probably the best thing that happened to me because I can kind of put one chapter of my life to bed and not have that hanging over me all the time to say every year could be my last, every year could be my last. But then also, I still do look at it and say, I still walk around football and I know it's always going to be a part of me and I'll never let that go. But I've come to terms with so many more things and I had to deal with a lot. Um, when I come out of hospital, like I had, I, I, I went, when I went into actual, the actual hospital and got admitted, there was one part of the hospital that like not a lot of people obviously knew about that. I only spoke with my mom a couple of months ago about it and we kind of sat and had the same story, but we never knew both each other knew. And we, we kind of sat there and we spoke together and I said, did you know when I was in hospital, they thought I had an infection? And she said, yeah, the doctor told me. And I said, because they wheeled me into the ward the night before my operation. And the doctor said, my valve was hanging on by a thread that if that's to break off through the night and circulate around my body, it could get lodged in my brain. He said I could die overnight. And that, that is something that, like I said, unless it gets told to you, you're never really able to understand it. And like, I still try and come to terms with it to go, it was really that close. Like sometimes it doesn't seem real. And that was something that affected me a lot. And then I woke up the next day, they found I didn't have an infection and he told me they could do it that day. And I've like, I've never probably cried half as much within the space of four weeks of that whole ordeal than I did that like then because I just looked at it and I, and I thought to myself if it was that close like the doctor came in and said you can have open heart surgery I never felt so happy at the time I was petrified of it and this, the minute I get told that I can't wait for it to happen and then the minute he told me I shook his hand I burst into tears and I just couldn't wait for it to happen because I felt as though it wasn't just that my career was on a time scale now I felt as though my life was on a time scale mm. and that's a feeling that I've never had before or understood. And it's, it was scary. And once I had the operation, I spent four weeks in hospital, got myself out, and it's just progressively been getting better. But it's been taking nearly two years to be able to sit and proper, properly open up about it because I think we're in the first year. I was still overcoming the retirement, still wanting to play, but I can't play. I was having panic attacks. I was having health anxieties I was depressed then I didn't even know what depression was like I was having 
so many new things happened to me that I never understood any of it. But I'm glad to where I am now that I went through all of that because I have so much more of an understanding of myself and of a lot of other people and a lot more empathy towards a lot of other situations to where it's not about my stories greater than anybody else's. It's about everybody feels the same thing for whatever story they've got. And that's how I see all things now. And sometimes to kind of hit the nail on the head, I look at my life now and think, do you know what? Things could always be worse because the worst has already happened to me. I was close to having the worst happen to me. So everything now, whether it's a panic attack or depression, there's always going to be a certain light at the end of the tunnel. And that's how I see myself now. And that's why like, I, I speak a, a lot more to get that message across because I want to be an example for people to say, I've had the worst thrown at me. And I'm not saying it's easy because it is difficult. And I'm not sitting here saying that I'm somebody who's reformed and I'm made and everything's perfect again because I still have the same struggles. But I just understand myself a lot more to deal with it. And that's something that I never knew. I am... Um... I'm listening to you in awe, of course, but I'm, I'm reflecting on expressions like, you know, live every day like it's your last, life's so short. And, and these are all cliches that we kind of trot out without really fully appreciating what those words mean. And obviously you are the kind of the embodiment of someone who's, who's lived on the edge. And, you know, we think of in the sport of, of people like Fabrice Mwamba and, and Christian Eriksen, to just name a couple off the top of my head, where... You know, we take it for granted that as a professional footballer, we're, you know, we're, we're a machine and we're going to go for 12, 13, 14 years if we're lucky. Um, and then, as you say, it all gets taken away. But the thing that I find really fascinating in listening to you, Mark, is how brutally honest you are. And what I mean by that is that self-awareness where you got to the moment where you were being told you need the operation again, but you'd already decided you'd been really honest with yourself about when enough was enough and why you weren't prepared to go on, you know, risking your, your life in particular. Um, and, and for all those people around you that were really important, that, that, that brutal honesty, to what extent, I mean, obviously you, you go through this process where you have made a decision that, that that's the end of it all for you. You've become very philosophical, and I, and I really do appreciate how, how open and honest you've been. And you've mentioned the likes of Nigel Clough and, and that team, whether it's your mum or your family around you. They're clearly all very important. To what extent was it difficult for you to rediscover a kind of a sense of purpose um, after inverted commas retirement? Because we talk of retirement. It isn't really retirement. It's just one part of a journey through life, right? And that's certainly what I'm hearing from you. But... How easy or difficult was it to to rediscover um, that kind of sense of purpose and find a new way? And the reason I'm going to ask you that I'm asking you the question is that we get lots of emails from listeners who say kind of this is where I am in life. I just can't see the wood for the trees. I can't figure out what to do next. I'm drowning in my own sorrow. Um, it. it you, you describe it as if it came really easily to you. I know you said you, you, know, you suffered badly in the moments of depression and anxiety, but you kind of seem like you dealt with it unbelievably well. What is it about Mark O'Brien that has helped you through that process? Is it just a conscious decision you made? Is it something about your, your upbringing or background? Are you, are you unique or are you just another human being who found a way to deal with it? I'd say I'm probably just another human being that's found a way to deal with it. Like, 
I still, to this day, as I said, I still have my struggles. But I think when you've had certain things that have happened to you, which I did at 16, that's why I say the, the operation at 16 is something that, for whatever reason that I look back at now, kind of molded my mentality to always be a fighter where I see myself now is the purpose of, okay, my purpose now for going through all of that and coming through it, still struggling with it to an extent, but being confident enough to actually speak about it. Right, I want to try and help other people that were in my position, that might be in my position for, it doesn't have to be open heart surgery, it doesn't have to be retirement from football, it could be day-to-day depressions, anxieties, anything that they're going through in life. I want to be that example for someone to go, okay, these were my extremes, but it's no lesser or it's no more than what your extremes might be for you or your tolerance. But we all feel the same things. And that's where my purpose came from, was just chipping away at certain things and just gradually but slowly seeing where life was taking me. And it took me to getting an opportunity to be able to speak out more. And that is, to me, my next purpose. And that's what helped me overcome. And it seems like such a short time span saying two years and there's so much more to come from me. But I think it seems like a lifetime to me that I played football, whereas now I'm solely focused on, okay, I'm going to help people. I'm going to speak out more. I'm going to do this. I have to say, you know, as a young man, that sounds patronising, but I got a few years on you. Um, You know, very philosophical. I mean, deeply inspirational. A couple of things that I've heard from you in, in everything you've just so um, eloquently said, Mark, is to kind of deal with the problem, you have to understand the problem. That's clearly something you set out to do. And the thing I love that that comes through loud and clear is this this whole sense of, like, what's realistic? And what I mean by that is, you know, we often hear our parents, typically, when we, you know, tell them that we want to be a professional footballer, they kind of pat us condescendingly on the head and say, "Mm, you know, you might want to set your sights, you know, a little bit lower. and, you know, to use your expression, you like you powered through, you have belief in yourself. Uh, and as I've been sitting here listening, I'm thinking, gosh, half an hour has gone by in the blink of an eye. But I've, I've just I've wanted you to speak because everything you've said will really resonate. And, and I, one thing I will say to you is that the gift that you have brought to so many people around the world, just in what you've been saying today, Mark, on this podcast, um, I don't think you will ever fully understand. Lots of people, I'm sure, will reach out to you. Um, but just like one last question before we ask you a couple of final bits and pieces. Um, there are lots of sports people, but it doesn't necessarily need to be sports people. There might be business people, people going through relationship problems, uh, family trauma, bereavement, any kind of setback or adversity in life. What, what a piece of advice would you give to people based on your own experience and knowledge now? Um, would, would you say to somebody who maybe comes to you and says, you know, I'm having a really tough time at the moment and here are the reasons why. You know, what, what first steps should I be thinking about taking to try and deal with whatever it is I'm facing? I think from my own personal um, aspect on everything is, is when I was dealing with my problem compared to, as you, as you said there, relationship issues, I had that going through the whole open heart surgery. Like I had to strip everything back and I had to deal with each each different section on its own and that's why at the time I was trying to juggle everything at once and thinking right if I get it all into one place I'm going to deal with all of this together and then it's all going to go away I had to go through 
dealing with the breakup of a relationship because of the open heart surgery. Then I had to move on to, okay, I have to go and sit in the retirement and then understand, okay, right, get me mind around this can't happen anymore. And I'm not going to be in the same shape that I was before. And I'm probably not going to be as physically capable as I was before. And I had to understand all of that, but then come to terms with it and, and, and understand it and, and realize that, okay, what are certain triggers for me? And then the open heart surgery, which was one of the main things that the open heart surgery was, I look at it as a smoke screen for everything else because the smoke screen that I called the open heart surgery smoke screened why I was feeling so low about me retirement that I never knew about. So when I was laying in bed all the time, when I didn't want to leave the apartment, when I was dealing with anxieties and panic attacks, I just related it all back to it's because of the surgery. Everything's because of the surgery. Do you know what? Retirement, oh, well, I, I prepared for it. I know what's happened. And I never gave it the time of day to actually understand it. And I think it, it, it's just something where when I'm able to sit and, and fully accept, it's like I, I, I just accept a lot more now. Like I accept good times, bad times, in different times. And that's something that has helped me. And I know I've spoken to certain people that being vulnerable is okay accepting that you're in a bad situation is the first sign to kind of go, okay, I know I'm in a bad situation, but the only thing that I always say to anybody that I've ever spoken to is that that's why I'm doing what I'm doing to be that example to say bad times will never always last. If you are willing to push through certain downtimes and you're willing to keep on pushing, no matter how small the steps are, whether you're crawling along or taking giant leaps across, if you're willing to keep on pushing and progressing through those bad times, there will be good times. And that's the example I'm trying to set for people. And that's the example I'm trying to come across from people is to say, I had to take small steps from even just, as I said, be grateful that I'm waking up every single day. That to me is an achievement because at a certain time that could have been taken away from me. So I, I think everybody, no matter whether it's a sport person or whether it's a day-to-day -day life person, everybody has that same capability to say, okay, at least I woke up today. Everybody has that capability to say, okay, at least I got out of bed to make breakfast. Do you know what? And if you can't feel as though that you got out of bed to make breakfast, okay, just be thankful that you got out of bed. And then, like you say, you have to just be so thankful for the small things. And it doesn't seem like it's going to help the massive problem you're in at that time. But then it's, it's just about accepting that you are in that bad place, that if you're willing to slowly take them steps to changing your mindset to a certain positivity because now my mindset is at a positivity of well what's the worst that can happen okay i'm in a relationship that was really bad i had to break up with that relationship okay i'm going through a tough time because of it but what's the worst that's going to happen now okay i'll get over that and there's going to be someone else out there for me and I, i'm still i look at it and go right but i'm still here i've still got friends i've still got family i've still got a roof over my head and like I say, I just try and strip back every situation that I am because I still do get certain situations that I sit myself in and if I'm in a crowded room, I'd go, I can't really breathe here. Like, my chest is getting really tight. Okay, I don't know what, I'll go outside for five minutes and I'll just take a bit of a breather. But I'll express it to people. I'll tell someone, I'll go, I don't feel quite right here. I don't keep it to myself anymore. And that's something yeah. that I learned where I used to just go up and walk away and people were like, what is he walking away for? You don't seem quite right. Now I just express myself and I'd say, do you know what? Like my chest is a bit tight. Like I feel a bit crowded. Yeah, I'm gonna. I need five minutes, and 
it's just that open and honest effect that I feel as though helped me. And I know when people are open and honest and someone can be relatable to you, it, it, it like hits you so much more than somebody who will turn around and say to you, I can only imagine how what you're going through. I can only imagine how you feel. Because if somebody can only imagine how you feel, they'll never understand. Whereas if somebody can sit there and go, do you know what? I had a panic attack. And you'd sit there and go, how crazy is that? And you can relate. And it makes you feel as though, do you know what? I'm, I'm exactly like that person. Like both of us can connect on that level. And then all of a sudden, you start slowly building that confidence back in yourself and say, okay, it's happening to other people. So no, I will be okay. And you know what? Things are going to get better. And as I said, it, it, it is a slow, steady progression, but whether it's a year and I'm saying I'm two years down the line, whether it's going to be another two, three years on top of that, I'm still willing to constantly keep pressing and keep going forward because I know that things are getting better. The more positivity that I put towards myself. And if I had to say that to anybody, don't ever look for like a quick fix. Always look for that steady progression because it's the steady progression that will get you where you want to be rather than the quick fix. It'll be a quick high somewhere and then you're going to crash again. It's the steadiness of, okay, I might feel great for two days, but okay, three days I feel great. And then I might yeah. feel great for three days, but then two more days I might feel great. But the days of not feeling great get lesser and the days of feeling great get more. And before you know, you're in a routine where you're forgetting about those bad days and you think, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm past it. But then you just have to keep up with it and make it part of your life and a routine. And, and then before you know it, I think for me personally, I think you, you're going to find yourself in a better off position. Amazing. Um, how, how do we follow you, Mark? How do we follow the career? And are you on social media? Uh, is there a website? Is there a Twitter handle? How do we, how do we find out more about Mark O'Brien and or connect with you? Um, I have an Instagram, I have a LinkedIn, I have Twitter. Um, so I have all of them three. And then I'm hopefully going to be in a process now of, of, of setting up um, certain other avenues with websites and stuff like that, that um, are going to be hopefully oncoming again. Um, so yeah, like, but Twitters and Instagrams and LinkedIn's are stuff where like I post up about everything that like I've kind of spoken about and certain things I'm doing up to this day. Fantastic. Final question, Mark. If you were giving a younger version of yourself, any advice and goodness knows the advice being sought from, from Mark O'Brien senior uh, would be advice to definitely listen to what, what single piece of advice, and it might be that you've already covered it, but just for clarity for everyone listening out there from all around the world, if it was just one bit of advice above anything else, golden rule number one, what would it be? I'd say my golden rule number one is don't give up. I think that's the only way I can look at myself and say to everything that has happened and where I'm at right now is because I never gave up at when I was 16. I never gave up on the dream of being a footballer. I never gave up on certain injuries I've had through my career I never gave up after retirement and I've still not given up to this day and that's the one thing I probably say to myself is that when you're 16 and when you're about to go through the stuff you're going to go through just don't give up because things will turn out and I look at it probably now better than I would have ever expected that is amazing I've really enjoyed the podcast today and I know I speak for everyone listening 
uh, in saying that um, you've been a spectacular guest. Thank you for being so open and honest. You know, your transparency and your, um, you know, the, the fact that you're such a, a genuine person comes through in spades, Mark. So uh, wish you all the very best. I'd love to stay in touch with you. Wish you all the very best uh, in your future career, uh, the avenues and opportunities that will undoubtedly be presented to you because you've got such an extraordinary philosophical view of life, uh, both in, in reflecting what's happened, but also looking forward. So thank you, Mark O'Brien, for being a really, really wonderful Sandro Forte guest. Uh, and I'm really glad we've had the opportunity to kind of lift the lid. And I know it's difficult for you to talk about some of this stuff, but lift the lid really on understanding the, the, the pain and the difficulty that, you know, even top professionals and those that you might look at from the outside and think he's got the perfect life. And when you really lift the lid off it, you just think, you know what? It's just as much of a car crash as my life. And, um, you know, I, I really do thank you for being so open and honest. And, uh, and you really have transformed the lives of a lot of people out there today. So I do appreciate it on behalf of everyone listening. Honestly, thanks very much for the opportunity. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And again, it's, it's, it's that passion in me again is coming out that, like I say, I, I, I love what I do. And again, I'm just wanting it to continue. Well, Mark O'Brien, thank you very much once again. And to all of you for listening to the Sandro Forte podcast, uh, I'm sure you agree Mark O'Brien was you know, not just a top professional, a really, really decent bloke who has been through the mill, it has to be said, but has come out the other side and, and has flourished as a, as a human being and, and has brought an awful lot to the, to the podcast today. Remember, although it will be very difficult to beat that one, we've got a new guest joining us every week to share their own insights into achieving success or overcoming life challenges. Make sure you connect with us. It's at Sandro's podcast. Don't forget there's less in the middle. Do make sure you connect with Mark O'Brien in the way that he's described, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, I think he said. And if you'd like to email us with a question for either us or for Mark, it's hello at sandrospodcast.com. And of course, you can reach out to Mark directly if you'd like to. Finally, do connect with me. It's at Sandro Forty on Twitter because I'll be connecting with Mark. And it's the real Sandro Forty on Instagram because somebody once stole my handle and I still haven't tracked him down. Uh, thank you once again to Mark O'Brien. Looking forward to staying in touch with him and following his career with great interest. And to all of you for listening, thank you once again.